Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Scott, and I'm here just to tell you a little bit about this week's episode. So this last Thursday, Macy and I got to interview John Keatley, who is one of my closest friends. He's a photographer, but I would say he is a very unique photographer. He does some commercial photography. He does work with uh, eggs, like um, the incredible edible egg. So kind of like you got milk or something like that. Um, so he works for eggs, egg. <laughs> and if you're a Seattleite, he's the one that has done all those BECU billboards that you see all over Seattle and on buses and stuff like that with people's faces and uh, headshots. He shoots for magazines and other things like that and has taken photos of all sorts of interesting people like Jeff Bezos and Tim Gunn and uh, Annie Leibovitz and Kevin Durant. And he even did uh, the cover for Sarah Palin's book like seven years ago or something like that. He talks about that in the episode. So he does commercial stuff that I know of, and that's pretty fun for him. But then he also does a lot of interesting photography that could go under the heading of fine art. And these pictures are often whimsical and quirky and even sometimes dark. Uh, John has sort of an off-kilter style that's really hard to look away from, and he's worked really hard to cultivate this unique vision that he has, and he's cultivated that over the years uh, that I've known him. Anyways, Macy and I interviewed him about all of this stuff. We wanted to know why he loves photography so much, how he got his start, and what keeps him motivated. Art and photography and creating cool and interesting things, in our opinion, truly is no small thing. And so John is somebody that I think is inspirational to me and I hope could be inspirational to you as well. And in addition to our interview with John, he also invited Macy and me over to his house tonight to do a photo shoot. So I'm recording this little intro on Sunday, which is three days after our actual interview that we did with John. I just got back from doing this photo shoot and it was so wild and different. I've never done anything like this. And both Macy and I felt out of our element, but it was also super fun. We'll probably be posting some of the photos that we did on our Instagram in the days ahead. And I imagine we'll use them on our website and other social media places. I don't even know what they're gonna look like, we'll see. Okay, so I think this is going to be a super interesting episode. If you are at all interested in the creative process, finding your voice, starting your own business, empowering others to express themselves, or if you're just learning to approach life with curiosity and creativity and want more of that, I think there is a lot for you in this episode. So on behalf of Macy and myself, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, with that being said, I officially present episode 18 of No Small Thing, simply titled Keatley. Okay, hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing. I'm Scott. And I'm Macy. And tonight we have John Keeley with us, sitting in the flesh. Sitting in the flesh. <laughs> sitting in the flesh. I am sitting wow. in the flesh. <laughs> what else would he be sitting in, I wonder? I don't know. I just It's not like in the, a Skype call. John's oh, right yeah, in front point. of us. A good clarification. Yeah. We're not Skyping with John. We are at his home 
studio office space. And I'm not wearing any clothes. And he's not wearing any clothes. <laughs> he is wearing clothes. He's in his skin, though. <laughs> Sitting here in the skin. <laughs> he said flush. <laughs> okay, so I think this is our, is it our third interview? Did we say? Oh, we, we include Matthew. But that wasn't like an official interview episode. Kind of. So this is our fourth interview. I think maybe third. Third, third official interview. Matthew was an Enneagram episode. So yeah. we've done Birdie and Emily and Deb, Deb. Thomas and now John Keatley. And now John Keatley. And so John and I go way back where we've been friends for almost 20 years, I think, which is really crazy. wild to think about. College buds. Yeah. yeah. So Macy's sitting here at the two college buds. and You're probably my oldest show. friend. Really? Yeah. Easily. That's nuts. Like That's you don't have mean. any carryover friends from high school? I don't have any friends from high school. I have friends that I probably don't talk to very often. Hmm. Like, you know, Ross and Westcott and them, but like... Yeah, I mean, I don't even have a phone number or an email address. But mm. I mean, like, I mm. just... Mom. Not even... I just I haven't talked to anyone probably for... You were a different person in high school. I totally was, yeah. yeah. Very different. You're a rollerblader. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a rollerblader? <laughs> talk about that. Maybe, Thanks for reminding maybe you mark that for a conversation <laughs> later in the episode. We'll talk about oh, rollerblading. Man. We're getting deep real fast here. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think we'd love to hear you explain in your own words what it is that you do because we interview so far we interview people that uh, do things that we're interested in. Yeah. Things do that, things that interest us and things that are kind of unique and out there. Mm-hmm. And we want to share that. Birdie and Emily, they're also sort of Instagram photographer, traveler types. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody else that does what they do. Deb uh, considers herself a sex therapist. That's something she She's titled herself. Hmm. Yeah. She's also a marriage and family therapist, and she helped us at our youth group do some really good training with our kids. So she was a really fun to interview. And then you're you're a unique, interesting individual that does interesting things. Well, what do you say that you do? What uh, what what what's what's the line from Office Space? What do you what, do you what say would you say you, you do, do here, here exactly? <laughs> I uh, I like to consider myself an artist, um, specifically uh, a photographer. And I do fine art and advertising. Hmm. So there, there's a lot of similarities for me, but they're also very different. Hmm. And primarily just, I mean, at its core for advertising, I'm creating something for a client. Um, and for fine art, I'm creating something for myself. Hmm. And hopefully what I'm doing there connects with others along the way. The cool thing, though, that I have been able to build, uh, even just more in the last couple of years, um, is that my advertising work is very much based off of my personal work. And so something that my agent will say frequently, and I've recently begun to like kind of live more into this, is I'll have clients basically say, do what you do, but do it for us. And mm. that's a really cool oh, feeling. What a great line. Um, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that when that happens... For me, um, I love it because I am literally doing whatever I'd want to do, but you know, you're doing it for someone else and you have, um, backing to be able to create things that are maybe bigger or more expansive than I would have been able to do on my own. So my advertising though does tend to be a little more on the, um, humor side Mm -hmm. and, uh, I photograph primarily characters. So I'm photographing characters and showing kind of the quirkiness of people if, someone wanted to show how great life would be if everyone was drinking Coca-Cola, I would not be the person you would call. You know, I'd probably be the person you'd call if you wanted to show what happens 
when you don't have insurance and you actually get injured, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. how happy life is when you have insurance and everything's fine kind of thing. Um, so that's maybe a little, a little other than, you know, the client thing, that's kind of the difference between my fine art work and, and my commercial work is my commercial or my fine art work tends to be a little more, um, dry or m- more dark humor, I suppose, in certain ways and more kind of based off of my youth and childhood, I think. Mm. And, um, it's a little more for me, psychological than the advertising work, but, um, uh, visually. And I think like stylistically, they're both really cohesive. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. You have a I would agree. Style. Yeah. As a person who's just glanced through your Instagram, Thanks. that you have a very specific style, I would say in the way you portray character in photographs. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard of the phrase uncanny valley? Oh. We just heard about this at our fall retreat recently with some friends. I think I heard you guys talking about really? it or something. Yeah. Mm. I, I, what, how would you describe it? It's kind of like when uh, an image of something is kind of almost human-like, but not quite. Like it's just off enough and it's kind of disturbing. Yeah. So they were like certain characters or like robotics that aren't quite human enough, like reach this point uh, of uncanny Valley where it doesn't look quite human enough. And it, for some people really turns them off or almost and some people some, really maybe intrigues looks, them. Maybe it almost looks too human. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like not supposed to be, but it almost does, but you know, it's not. And so that's where it becomes uncanny. Yeah. Know. So we're sitting in John's studio office area and there's these, uh, green soldier men, that uh, are surrounding us. And I went to your art show with this, and this is obviously your fine art, and mm-hmm. a book is coming out with yeah. this. We're not plugging John's stuff here, but that's just a fact. <laughs> uh, just facts. But I feel like that could fall into the Uncanny Valley category. You were saying sort of psychological and dark and, and humorous, mm-hmm. like your style in general. I'm trying to describe your style. It's sort of whimsical. I'd say it's whimsical. If we looked up a pure go definition on. of no, that, I, I, go on. I'm, I'm Tell fasc- me. I mean, I'm fascinated, you know, by by hearing what other people perceive. And mm. just today, I was at, I'm working on a new piece, and I was asking my wife Nichelle to look at it, and she was. Uh, I I oftentimes will ask, "What do you think, or what do you like better?" And I, it's dangerous to say, "What do you like better?" When you're creating art, you know, mm. I do like to hear kind of like a few key people's perspectives on certain things. But it's also a really foolish question to ask because, for example, uh, there's a picture of a of a woman sitting on a bench and there's a wall behind her and I'm working on uh, establishing the height and size of the wall. And hmm. she she liked the one with the smaller wall because she said it puts more focus on the girl and she felt like the bigger wall put, um, made her feel smaller. And, and I was like, well, what do you think it's supposed to be about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I realized like, well, that's kind of the beauty about art is hmm. people find different meanings and things, um, you know, based on their own story. The most important thing is the creator needs to know what the meaning is for them and it needs to be intentional. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but the, the point of telling that particular story is Nichelle preferred the, the wall being smaller because she liked the emphasis being on the girl, but what I'm actually going for is trying to make the girl feel small and lost and isolated. Mm. And so I want the wall to kind of dwarf her a little bit. I want that feeling of being alone and unsure, you know? Mm. So, and maybe it was in the conversation that you realized how strongly you had felt about that vision. I do think that's one of the benefits though, of those kinds of conversations totally is, um, 
I'm someone who oftentimes creates or does or acts or speaks, and I derive meaning or understanding looking back, which yeah. can mm. get me in trouble a lot of times, but a lot of my work, especially uniform even, mm. um, I create it with a specific idea, but oftentimes it morphs and grows. Um, so much so, you know, I, I had a show you were mentioning last year, I, almost two years ago now, and, you know, I it was my first fine art show, and I wrote, like, an artist statement and defined it for people and had, you know, have, have to write all this Oh, stuff. did that feel weird? It was very weird, and it was yeah. very hard. It was one of the most difficult things that um, I had ever done. I mean, it sounds silly, but it was really mm. just, I wanted to constantly walk away, and I would just would get angry and frustrated. And... Um, Anyway, I, I got it all written out, and over the last couple of years since since that show, um, I didn't really do much with the series for the first year, and then I started having these like curiosities and thoughts that were kind of felt like derivative of uniform, and I kept trying to put them into other things, and it didn't really make sense, and I felt like I was copying myself <laughs> until finally I realized I just I would I hadn't said everything that I wanted to say. I wasn't finished with that mm. particular series, mm. and so I went back to it, and I it had to take some time to figure out well, what is it that you want to say? Like, what are you trying to do here? And I and I did that, but then I want I decided I was going to make a book, and again I had to write something for the book. But by this time, looking back on what I had written two years ago. I didn't like what I had written. It didn't feel authentic mm. or accurate mm. or I had learned more throughout that process that I wasn't aware of at the time. And again, it was this grueling process and I tried so many different things and I, I was really fixated on what other people had done in their books and people were telling me you have to write this much and it has to be this long and this is what people want to know and all this kind of stuff. And then I hired a writer to um you know she interviewed me and we talked for a long time and she's a really good friend so she knows me and she had insights and she wrote something that was really great but i hated it mm -hmm. it wasn't as no ah. reflection of her at all it was just like that's not that's what not i want to say yeah yeah and um i said all these like really smart and clever things about uniform and what it means and how it relates to what's going on today and all this kind of stuff and all that stuff could be true to someone else but i knew the whole time it was not true for me i was mm. just like catering to the audience i was saying mm. things that would be impressive to others mm. and would make people think like wow what a clever creative conceptual series this was and i finally <laughs> nichelle was just like so frustrated of hearing me like you know carrying on about like and she just looked at me and she's like what is it that you want to say yeah mm. and not that that was the first time I'd heard that question, but something finally um, clicked in that moment. And I realized that I was trying to say something for everyone else's benefit. And what I wanted to say was in the work. The mm. whole point of creating the work was what I was saying. And I, I had nothing that. else to add to it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, what true, that's a true artist mentality, I think. If we can even say what that is, a true yeah. artist. Yeah. Maybe maybe others really it's, truly have a point they're trying to make, but it does seem that the point is in the work itself, like not in the explanation. Yeah. And I do think there's time where context is important. I, I mean, there's cases where context is vital, especially as it relates to the intent of the artist and, and, and how it was created. But in this particular instance, I can confidently say now that... For me, this work is best without um, explaining it. Hmm. Um, I know every artist probably usually wants to say that because it's more convenient and easier, but 
for me, I can honestly say that here. Anyway, long story short, that being said, like I know what it means to me and where it comes from, but I'm still fascinated by hearing other people talk about not just totally. my work, but any work because yeah. everyone has a different experience and sees things differently. And I just find that so rich and fascinating. Um, and so, yeah, I, when people ask me what things are about, sometimes I, I prefer to hear them go on because hmm. they have a perspective that I've never even considered, you know? So do you relate to that? Uh, yeah, I think so on a lot of levels. Macy paints. Yeah, I paint. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, and I hold so much meaning in my paintings and then I could walk away and if someone's like, what does it mean? I couldn't explain it. I yeah. couldn't say what it means. And but both of you seem lot. to have a similar mentality of like, there's a moment of inspiration and you go with it. Yeah, which that was a question I wanted to ask you. So you're talking about uniform, which I think we'll probably post pictures or yeah. like share pictures of what this... On our website? On our website, <laughs> what this project is. Was there something that like was an initial inspiration point for this project that is uniform? And should we describe it? We're looking at the pictures. We have the benefit we'll of post looking them. at it, the I mean, pictures. It, I mean, I hope it's, I it hope it's not offensive. It, it, I mean, if you just picture those classic... They're in Toy Story, those little uh, army man figurines, those green army man figurines. And then to think of them in human form in a really cool kind of uh, uncanny valley sort of way. <laughs> semi-creepy, semi-interesting, semi-intriguing, very different. Each yeah. one is different, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, I would say they're, they're headshots or portraits of, of people painted, painted green. Mm. And it's all practical. It was painted. It wasn't... Um, like just something we did in post. There was a lot of post involved, but mm. um, they were painted. And um, I, to answer your question, was there something that came from? So probably four or five years ago, I started down this road uh, or journey of um, kind of trying to discover who I am really. Mm. Um, and in um, wrestling with, with family and all kinds of things that have always been there that I've never understood or, or known how to handle or process. And so I started processing that. And, um, something that I became really interested in was identity. I've always been drawn to characters and faces and people. Mm -hmm. And so my career has been kind of a, a series of transitions of different types of photography. But as I got into um, this idea of creating for myself, cause for the first, you know, 12 years or so I was only creating for other people mm -hmm. and um, lots of weddings the yeah. life of a photographer yeah I started doing weddings when Scott and I oh, were in school wow. that was how I started and then I moved into editorial shooting for magazines mm. and then I became frustrated with that as I did with weddings and then I found advertising which I am still doing today um, but then from advertising I discovered you know fine art which was basically an outlet to create and express myself mm -hmm. so um i started i started wrestling with this idea of identity and so um i photographed a i, I, I photographed a, a group of people all wearing the same wig and the same jacket and the same mustache i saw those um, those were cool for wexley school for girls. yeah for yeah. for wexley school for girls which it's uh, an advertising agency yeah, okay. no, they call their advertising. They're no longer they're no longer in business, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. But oh, too bad. I know they just closed down. But um, it was started by a good friend of mine, and um, I did some really fun projects with them over the years. And so this was one where I had this idea, and they're like, "We need portraits," and so we collaborated on it. And uh, but that was kind of the beginning for me of like exploring this idea of following concepts or ideas for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I did that, and I was just curious about what 
happens when you assimilate a group of people and make them look like one. Because I was mm-hmm. initially fixating on specifically judgment of others because mm-hmm. that was something that I was and am wrestling with. And so then I, from there, kind of looked at um, looking in the opposite direction and I was curious about taking one person and making them look like seven totally different people. Mm-hmm. And so I did this series called Whoa. Con Man. That's cool. Where I photographed one guy and I gave him seven different wigs, just makeup and wardrobe changes. No, no, I mean, just like a, a mole here or there, no like real mm-hmm. facial prosthetics, so to speak. And um, I was curious, like, you know, how do you perceive someone based on life experience or appearance? You know, like mm-hmm. it's the same person, but you have seven very distinct uh, feelings or, or judgments of this person based, mm-hmm. on, based on that alone. And then... It was after that I just had like faces and identity and, you know, all these kind of themes and ideas in my mind. And um, this just kind of came to me one day when we were, we were actually in Disneyland with the kids on vacation. Hmm. And um, the initial, the initial idea that I connected in my brain about why I wanted to do this has really nothing to do with what it's about, but I'm realizing more and more subconsciously, mm. I've never made a decision so quickly and clearly before mm. in my life as when I decided to do this. Um, it's also one of the biggest things I've ever done. And usually that would, you know, give me some pause, but like, I just ran into this one. Mm. And, and as I look back, I know it was like the clearest form of expressing what I was feeling that I've probably come across to this point. So that's so good this is really fun to give Art. you a microphone yeah to touch it because you know i've known like we said john and i go way back and I, i've never heard him talk about his art this way i mean hmm. we talk about it a lot but not in this much depth and i i'm i'm so obsessed with david lynch and he considers himself a, an artist as well and that was actually you yeah you sent me i think you sent me an interview or a quote or something just a couple months ago when I was going through the writing hmm. for the book hmm. and, and we've talked about it in the past as well, but that, that idea that he has of someone asking what a movie's about yeah, and he refuses to yeah. define it because hmm. it's, it's not about, you know, behind the scenes or workshops or explaining something. It's like, that was the whole point, right? Yeah. Like that's, that was it, you know? And there's these classic David Lynch moments in certain interviews where he's been trotted out to like, festivals and stuff like that (laughs) and it's it always seems that people haven't done their research on david lynch it's you're thinking okay these people know him they obviously know have they ever watched an interview with him have they read an interview with him because this happens you can look it up on youtube there's 10 of them where somebody says okay well let's watch the clip and there's an audience and and they get done and they say that was beautiful Uh, explain to us what was going on in that clip and he'll just go no. <laughs> and they were always so confused and awkward. He'll just and he doesn't say even that. say, here's why, I, here's why I don't want to answer that question. He doesn't even do that. He just goes, no. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love I, that. I, I, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's maybe a couple of times where he has explained why he won't answer mm-hmm. it. And he's mm-hmm. very eloquent in that explanation. But yeah, I, that totally resonates. I do think though, I do think it's, for me at least, it's important to still be mindful though, because I feel like that can easily become a crutch depending on what you're creating. Yeah, I agree. Because I think a hundred percent of the time I'm not going to want to explain what it's about because it feels, I feel vulnerable or it's, hmm. or it requires work or it's just hard, you know, like it's just hard I'm, and I'm tired and I don't want to. 
but I do think there is times when it is um, crucial and in an important part of the process. And so, you know, I think for David Lynch's work, probably he should never explain it. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> you can't maybe, know. maybe, yeah, you know, maybe depending on the type of artist you are, if you're creating from, you know, a place of self, you either always should explain it. Or you always shouldn't. I don't know. Maybe there's never mm. a situation where someone should and sometimes shouldn't. But, but I do think like that can't become a crutch for everyone at least because. I yeah. Think, well, and to a certain extent, it's the same thing with anything you create. I think about with this podcast is to a certain extent, you're, doing the heavy lifting for your listener or your viewer, whoever it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, instead of just saying, this is what we're doing now, now you engage, like we want you to bring yourself to this, you know, we want you to bring your thoughts and experiences to, you know, um, what do we call it? What's, what's the exhibit called? Uniform. Uniform. (laughs) Yeah. We want, we want, it's like, we don't want to just tell you what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, that's pretty boring. Well, and I think that as an artist, you would hope that people would make meaning out of your exhibit or your art that you wouldn't have, or maybe you don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I, you know, I can't, I, I, I try not to expect anyone to care as much as I do. Hmm. Um, I think you're just going to be hurt if you, if you have those kinds of expectations. But I think if you can, um, take joy in seeing someone wrestle with something that you created that's meaningful to you. I mean, I always enjoy that even if mm. what they derive is totally different from, from what its intent was, at least for me. And again, like when I have an intent for creating it, I have, I don't have a need for everyone else to get that intent, it, mm. but if it means something to them or makes them feel something like that gives me, just as much joy mm. and satisfaction. Um, but I also, you know, you just, I think it's important to be realistic that not everyone likes art and not everyone who likes art is going to like your art, you know? So mm. I try to be pretty realistic about that. And then you can just be surprised and happy when someone does connect with that it. That sounds but. like somebody that's been doing this for a while. <laughs> True. Tyranny of taste. <laughs> Tyranny of taste. That's yeah. one of our mantras. Okay. So this is intended to be somewhat of just an introductory to John. And I think what I'd like to do next is, go back and do sort of an origin story thing with John. I agree. Yeah. How he got started and a little bit about our early relationship. This is, this is something that comes up frequently in this podcast is that John and I went to SBU. Macy also went to SBU. A lot of SBU. If anybody's listening to this in any part of the country, they're probably like, I don't even know that school. Who cares? (laughs) It's just part of us. Yeah. Uh, So that's what we're going to do next. Yeah. So coming up, coming up next. (laughs) Let's hear from the band. (laughs) Hey everybody, this is Scott again, interrupting the episode very briefly, just to highlight a few ways that you can support the podcast. You know, in about two or three episodes, Macy and I plan on doing a whole episode that catches people up on what making this podcast has been like for us so far and what our future plans are. We have big hopes for no small thing, and we hope that you join us on this journey that we're taking. As we continue to work on creating weekly content, we are asking that you consider supporting us in three specific ways. You can rate and review us on iTunes. This is actually a tremendous help. Plus, we love reading the reviews that you all have written so far. You can tell people about the podcast or simply post about it on your social media platforms. 
And finally, you can consider supporting us financially through Patreon. Simply go to www.patreon.com and search for No Small Thing Podcast, and you will be given a bunch of different options on how you can support us. We really appreciate you listening and engaging with all this stuff. Uh, The support is just extra. We're not doing this in hopes of getting support, but uh, we also would appreciate support. (laughs) Macy and I are both so wanting to create a podcast that engages actual listeners. So your feedback and participation in all of this is essential and welcome and valued. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope you enjoy the rest of this interview with John Keatley. Hey, everybody, we're back and we're talking to John Keatley. And so what I'd like to do is just hear a little bit about John's origin story, which will also sync up a little bit with the beginnings of my friendship with John, which will be, I think, mildly fun to talk about. So I'll set us up. So, so, so here's, here's how I think of it. Uh, this is great. I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited. It's going to be mildly this. fun, everybody. Maybe. maybe, maybe. <laughs> I want, I want everybody to have low Not expectations. Too mild fun, to moderate. But <laughs> <laughs> mild to moderate. Um, if you're into some mild or moderate fun, <laughs> keep listening. So I was at SPU, uh, Seattle Pacific university, private Christian college here in Seattle and, uh, had my freshman year. Didn't know John. I was in Ashton dorms. If anybody is listening that went to SBU, you'll know what we're talking about. Good dorms. Macy also was in Ashton dorms her freshman year. Third East, I was on Fifth West. And uh, then my sophomore year, I, I went to Hill Hall. And this, this was an interesting choice. The only reason I went down there is because my down roommate there. was going to be <laughs> what you call a student ministry coordinator. Were you speech. what they called a pastor's wife? I was, yeah. I, I don't think they use that phrase. <laughs> they do. Yeah, they well, use they use it now, now which yeah. is horrible. I never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. What, there was another similar sort of slang for that, but I forget what it is now. Um, I, th- I think I was just called SMC's roommate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not as clever. It's not. <laughs> pastor's wife. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not as offensive. Yeah. Um, so it, it was this new year of coming back and my friend Tony and I essentially had, this is sort of a Christian way of thinking about it. We were thinking <laughs> there's going to be a bunch of new freshmen on this floor and we're coming in as community builders mm. essentially. So we're coming in with this mission in mind of we're here with a purpose. This is a very SPU way of thinking about it. And uh, this will obviously intersect with some other relationships too. Uh, Cause we have a friend named Andy who I'd love to talk about <laughs> on this podcast. We should have him on someday. But, um, there's this group of freshmen that John was a part of, but the twist is, is that John well, I will was, say I was not a, okay. Yeah, you're gonna John say. was a, a com, not a, a commuter, but like a second. What would you? Call I transferred it? it. Transfer yeah. student. So he had already done his freshman wow. year. He's coming in as a sophomore. This is maybe the first time I've heard him tell this story where he didn't actually think I was a freshman. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I, th- I think I thought he was a freshman. I lumped him in as, with freshmen <laughs> for a while. Um, and there was this group of guys that I think my friend Tony and I were thinking had really good energy and kind of funny. And, and just as a, we could do a whole podcast episode on just our friend Andy, but, but my first impression of Andy and everybody sort of remembers this, that was on this floor was that, um, he had filled a giant, um, milk jug 
like a plastic <laughs> milk, like a, like if you, the milk that you keep in your refrigerator that's like two percent, like the bigger ones that are plastic. He had filmed a jug of like uh, with like uh, raw beans or something, <laughs> something. And he and everywhere he went to all the initiation <laughs> things, he was shaking it like really loud. This is so obnoxious. Yeah, it was. It was, but also really entertaining, <laughs> and it really made us stick out, which uh, it was. It was really funny. So John and Andy and a few others were part of this group of friends that we started hanging out with. And, uh, I think just the initial stages of like our relationship with John centered around movies. So one of the movies was random movies. John had this thing, which I think was, is is still part of his personality was he'd get obsessed with something. So (laughs) he, he got obsessed with the movie called the burbs with Tom Hanks (laughs) and he would always want us to come in and watch these clips. Like the burbs is in the suburbs. Yeah. Have you seen it? it, No, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's kind of, it suits his type of humor too. Cause it's kind of dark and off kilter and weird. And then he would memorize all the lines and then office space was another one. And then, um, what was the Western Tombstone. tombstone? Yeah. We loved Tombstone. We watched that a lot. So, then, then John and his friends were playing a lot of Half-Life. Which Had you realized he was a sophomore at this point? I think eventually I started realizing <laughs> he was a sophomore. And and then everything just sort of took off from there. It's really weird how 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 quick everything happens in college. Because mm-hmm. I realize that's like probably in that first fall quarter, we were becoming good acquaintances. And probably by like the end of that year, we would I would have considered John a top friend. And we were really close. Isn't that weird how fast it all happens? Yeah, we're living together and yeah. like going to school together. It's crazy. And I'm trying to think whether it was my junior year or, yeah, we were both we were both the same. Grade. <laughs> <laughs> I almost did it. I thought he was a freshman. <laughs> my junior year, your sophomore year. <laughs> um, what, was it our junior year or your sophomore year that you came back with the camera? Because that's, that's where I'm setting you up for your origin story. This is where I, I was experiencing John. When I initially met him, he was a fun, interesting, quirky guy that loved to watch weird movies and, and quote things. And all of a sudden, at some point, he came back from Christmas. It was, the, it, was, it was our junior year. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the sec- my second year there. So this is my second year knowing John, and he comes back with a camera. That was... Well, well, first of all, before we get into the camera part, yeah. what do you remember about that year with like, uh, it's, I mean, it's movies. A, yeah. I, I thought you were going to go there and it's maybe a little off topic, but I mean, there, it, there's also a lot of weird dorm memories. We also played a lot of super smash brothers. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just, a, there's a ton of stories I suppose I could tell what, where I thought you were going with the movies though. And I guess in this, based on this idea of talking about fine art and, and, creating from Are you can talk about usual suspects yeah so yes. I mean, that was kind of I, I, I want you to talk about it <laughs> yeah i was waiting for you to bring that up so the funny thing for me is <laughs> the funny thing for me is um i mean i think scott and i are very similar in a lot of ways but i think like at least in that year there was a lot of differences maybe i mean i think a lot of differences mm-hmm. maybe it was simply just maybe humans <laughs> maybe it was simply the fact that you had an extra year away before i did or something but I grew up in a in a very conservative evangelical home, and so and we're both PKs and we're both pastors' kids. Yeah. Pastors' kids, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for those who don't know the the vernacular. <laughs> so, movies. I mean, I certainly watched. I watched. I did watch TV and movies growing up, but I I have memories of like family movie night where we got like five minutes into 
King Ralph and John Goodman swore and well movie night's King over kind Ralph. of thing or whatever. what a memory <laughs> I know wow it was it's burned into my memory but you know oh, so there yeah, was that culture or, or, or like growing up in that culture and Macy is really interesting because she didn't really <laughs> grow up in like a strict Christian household okay and, but that was that was such a that was such a standard phrase that you didn't even realize it was strange growing up was you'd be talking to a, a family and they'd say oh did you see this movie and they'd say Oh, we walked out of that. Mm -hmm. Like people, that was common for somebody to say, we walked out of it. It's like with a sense of pride. Yeah. And as an adult now, (laughs) I I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie, but that's funny to think that as growing up Christian, that's sort of a natural thing to do. Well, I think the culture, (laughs) we walked out. Yeah. I think the culture was like hearing something or knowing something is just as bad as like Hmm. actively pursuing or, you know, driving home this idea or whatever you've been tainted yeah you're 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 Mm -hmm. sinning just simply by hearing it or whatever so coming into spu well not i mean just in life in general there's so many there's so many things that i you know have still not experienced that you know most people from my my or in my age group experience you know like people still don't understand why I, I never saw the goonies or like all these kinds of movies you know i think to scott's credit he did get me to watch goonies in college but at that point it was <laughs> so like important it was game over right yeah. it's like yeah you know, it's only it's only powerful if you saw it as an eight-year-old or whatever yeah. like mm-hmm. seeing it as a 20 21 year old or whatever it was like it's not gonna be the same so there were and I, I don't totally understand as I think back on this, there's, it's a little confusing to me, but I was watching, you know, I was watching movies in general, but for some reason there were certain themes or ideas or things in movies that I still just did not feel comfortable with or mm-hmm. think was okay at all. And I don't remember like all of the details. I just remember watching usual suspects, maybe in my room with like a bunch of guys or something. And there was some scene, which I, I, I there's just, a lot. First of all, there's, there is a ton of swearing. It's like a crazy amount of swearing in that movie. Yeah, which is so funny. So, which is funny as adults to say that because now it wouldn't even register. Right. But as sort of young SPU Christian kids, we're like, whoa, oh, a lot of swearing. So there was, yeah, there was something in this that <laughs> set me off. And I think it was like there was some, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. There's some so sort of Christian. Some sort of like a uh, flashback scene. It's mm. like shadows on the wall. Some family's getting attacked. Maybe, oh, right. Kaiser maybe Soze. the mom is being attacked or something. And I just felt like, I, I I went off the handle and I I seriously thought that we were all going to hell in that moment. I was like, oh, that's so sad. I was afraid, and I had no empathy for him at that moment. No, no zero empathy. I no, I I wouldn't say that because you you stayed. I I just no, but I was really antagonistic and judgy. I think. Oh, who knows? But all I all I remember was I was crying. And I was like, you stood up on a bed. Yeah, I was staying. That's yeah. weird. I remember a high view, but I didn't know I was on a bed. <laughs> I remember like, <laughs> <laughs> high view. that's so good. <laughs> but I just remember crying and arguing because when I'm, when I'm, I my family, we debate. We don't like necessarily have a conversation. We argue and maybe even yell. So I remember just getting into it, but I remember it being driven by fear and genuine concern for your salvation yeah yeah because you were watching this movie yeah well we paused it and he's like i'm gonna turn it off or i don't want to watch it anymore and it's like it's not that he could just leave the room he's now concerned about and now you're like i'm concerned these people don't yeah i'm concerned for them watching it you know how could you possibly keep watching didn't you see this and we're like, what are you talking about? You know, like, oh, oh, so I can see this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, but you know, Scott, 
he stuck around whether whether he was antagonizing or not i'm done with this guy i think that <laughs> i that's i think that's something that i've always valued about our friendship is like especially i maybe i would say it was it was more the the differences were more stark when we first met you know and i would say now i i still am inspired by you but back then there was things where i just like couldn't even grasp or like under you know understand and i think a big part of my like cultural journey and just journey like as an individual was like has definitely been shaped together you know Mm -hmm. because i think we both care so much about culture and art and creating and and growing and stuff like that i think we felt some kindred spiritness yeah i think you were singular and kind of still are in that sense Look at the buddy vibes going on right now. I know. You guys really are having buddy vibes. This is sweet. I mean, college friends, everyone says that that's your friends for Mm -hmm. life is your college friends. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's, that's true to a certain extent. I, I, part of me wants to take issue with that statement in the sense that there's something that implies some stagnation there. Yeah, I agree. Because you, you plateau after college or stay there. I think you have a real good chance of meeting people that you can, stick with long-term because you have the opportunity to go so deep in college because it facilitates Mm -hmm. that type of relationship. But if the relationship or the like connection isn't there, I don't, I wouldn't say that just because you went to college with someone that that justifies like a long, meaningful relationship. But but I I think to Scott's point, there probably are lots of relationships that do just, and then here I go, I'm judging. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We're judging everybody out there. We are all judging everyone at all times of the day. (laughs) <laughs> yep, and we're judging all our listeners right now. If you're listening, we're judging you. But that, I mean, like you and I are friends, right? I feel like it's a good friendship. It's a good know? friendship, and, and I'm glad I'm. We like, didn't I've got my friends. College. I'm, I'm set. I'm set for life with friends. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, it would be sad. Yeah, yeah, and to a certain extent, I think. A side note about look at all the friendship conversations going on. I got friendship with John. I got friendship with Macy. But like, I think being friends with you. And the other friendships that I often talk about, shout out to Misty, who <laughs> often listens to this podcast. Um, I want and long for a different relationship than merely other white guys that are my <laughs> age. It would, those are great friendships. And John and I know these guys. John knows who my other friends are from SPU. And those are great friendships. But sometimes I'm like, okay, okay. We're all white guys hanging out. It's really great, you know? And it's like, I love hearing your perspective and I love hearing other perspectives on a friendship level, not just yeah. like, you know, so. Well, but yeah, John and I vibes. are two, uh, two white guys approaching 40 <laughs> and we're friends. So there it is, whatever that means. <laughs> are we going to hear about when you got the camera? Yeah, yeah. So I, oh I'll just gosh, say that like, we had some wild times. <laughs> Silly, some silly times. But I want to tell you about this other movie that made me cry first. Oh, no, I'm just yes. kidding. Oh, okay. I was, like, oh, I was here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. There was. Um, I will say, but one one other thing, because we could we could like have an episode where we just share college stories, which we won't do because that would be super boring. But, um, I just about those college. We we did have a group eventually that was formed, and we did some really funny things that were probably only funny to us, but. One of my favorite things that we did was something called Agenda Night. <laughs> and I don't even know how to describe that, but we came up with a very arbitrary agenda. And I think there were four of us, maybe five? Five of us. Yeah, five of us. This was before. Four, I would say four that. willing participants. Yeah, four <laughs> willing participants. So, like, this, we had an actual camcorder. We filmed most of the night, but we came up with like a schedule of the night of like our activities. So part of it was going to see center is eating at a certain diner, but then everybody had like a scheduled bathroom break and you could only go to the bathroom during your scheduled bathroom break. 
And there was like, for example, part of the evening was like, now you have to go to this part of this park and do jumping jacks. <laughs> at which point John threw out his shoulder. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But we have oh. all this on film and <laughs> it was so just... epic. Like it was such a, it was such a throwaway night. Like it wasn't like this thing that was getting all this build up, but the fact that we recorded it and then you can go back and look at this really strange agenda night, in, innocent agenda night. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really funny because I remember it was supposed to be fun. And, and then there were actually some heated arguments because of these bathroom breaks. <laughs> like you could barter, like barter for a bathroom break. You're like, uh, I'm having to go to the bathroom. Your bathroom break's coming up. You don't have to go. Let me have your bathroom break. And the other person's like, no, you can't have my bathroom this break. This arbitrary bathroom <laughs> yeah. break you guys have created. And we're sort of adhering to the schedule for the night. That's a, oh, I think wow. that's college at its best. That is college. Or at least, um, Private Christian college is best. We weren't doing like huge. That's super young parties. life vibes. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> we were coming up with creative ways to have fun at that age, and it was really fun and innocent. I think I look back yeah. at that with a lot of fondness. So I, we, we, he we still like to hasn't make, told us about getting no, the I know, camera. So I know. That's another break. <laughs> we try to think of things in twenty-minute segments. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, okay, we'll everybody. finally hear about John getting this camera from his grandpa. He got he got a camera. It's here in the it's here in the Let's place. Let's see how many segments we can go without telling that story. We're we're gonna go. We're gonna try. Oh. We're gonna try it. The next segment we're gonna attempt to hear about John's origin stories. This last segment was an attempt, <laughs> and we didn't get there because we got too excited about talking about college. In this next segment, we're gonna talk about when John became a photographer. Coming up next. Okay, so that uh, was our brief, just so everybody knows some context. John isn't just a random person that we decided to interview out of nowhere. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And it's really fun to be able to, one of the things I've thought about with this podcast, and I guess John, John and I haven't really even talked about the podcast since we started it, but what's been really fun in my mind, it'd be interesting to hear some of Macy's thoughts on this. We're going to do a catch-up episode in a second, <laughs> but in a few episodes, but it's been taking sort of all this raw material that we've been handed in life mm-hmm. and just capturing it. Like we have this friend, John, we have this friend, this therapist, we have these interests. We yeah. like to watch Steven universe. We like 21 pilots. <laughs> and then it's just recording our thoughts about that. And that's, what's been so fun about it. Yeah. And it's free. This is all just stuff that we were able to put out into the universe. So, um, okay. So John randomly came back from Christmas our junior year and he had been gifted a camera and from my perspective and then i'm just gonna set you up he got he started going hog wild with this (laughs) camera like it was like no occasion where john didn't have the camera wasn't wanting to set up a photo shoot (laughs) and we were excited about it i mean we were a game but oftentimes i think it became like whoa he's really I, I've said this about certain people in my life who who become talented and successful at something. At at first, 
you're like, please stop. This is too much. And eventually mm-hmm. they become so successful. Like, oh, wait, can you take my picture? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> now you have to pay me. You know, you it's like, dang, chance. at first I couldn't get them to stop. And now it's like, <laughs> they're successful. But yeah. So, so what was it like? You got the camera. Well, so what was that? We, we had started the breakfast club, mm-hmm. which is again, funny. This is so crazy. Cause I tell these, not this, I tell certain stories, but to have Scott who is at most of the stories here is, is, is interesting. <laughs> shout out Ingrid, shout out Kelly, yeah. shout out Andy, Andy, the breakfast Ingrid, club. Kelly, Scott and me. Yeah. So we started doing, we just had breakfast together like every Thursday or something. Mm-hmm. It was really early. So oh. it was like, I, they'd usually have like to at Gwen? wake me up. No, we'd go somewhere. Sometimes we'd go somewhere. Sometimes it was at someone's house. Mm-hmm. But it was always fun, and I think it was just <laughs> it was so. It was just so fun. I I think from Breakfast Club, I was like, I need to take pictures of of this. Wow, mm. it starts with Breakfast yeah. Club. Yeah. Wow. And so I I just felt like this is so fun, and I was just having such a good time. And there was like probably this part of me that's like, someday I'd like to have pictures to show that I had friends one day. You know, <laughs> when, you know, like I just, that was about the extent of it. It was had nothing to do with any interest in photography. Hmm. It was just. I'd like to document that I'm having fun at this period yeah. of my life or something. <laughs> so I went home. My parents were living in California, which is where I grew up. I went home for maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas. Wait, where? where? So I, I grew up mostly in Northern California. Where? She, she's from Sacramento. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So uh, I grew up in Lakeport, which is in Lake County, Okay. which is like two hours west of Sacramento Okay. on the way to like Mendocino or Fort Bragg. Okay. So I can picture it. Northern yeah. California. Buddies. Northern California. Yeah, Northern California. Um, Cal Palace. Cal Palace. Um, <laughs> so, so I went home and my grandpa was like a photography enthusiast mm-hmm. and my dad enjoyed taking pictures. They both had like Canon film cameras. Um, and I, I think I grew up seeing, you know, good family pictures, you know, like, cause they enjoyed taking pictures mm-hmm. and they had nice cameras, really nice cameras for the time. So my grandpa had passed and um, he was a bit of a pack rat and we had like a lot of his stuff and I went home and I, I was like, hey, does grandpa have, do we have grandpa's camera? And, and I don't know if my dad was using it or, or what the story was, but he's like, here, take, take the camera. So I took it back to school and I did, I started just taking pictures of like, I mean, it was just like pictures of Scott and Andy or Ingrid, like through the Ingrid. through the glasses. Oh, I hope she listens to this. I'm gonna send her a <laughs> and Kelly too. Can't leave yeah, Kelly. Kelly. Um, you know, just taking pictures of them, like at the breakfast table through the orange juice bottle, or mm. like whatever, just stuff like that. Experimenting. And then, yeah, just experimenting. And you know, I when I went home uh, at one point back to California, some friends and I like broke into a golf course late one night, and we rode longboards down the down the hills and stuff. And so I took pictures of that and I was just taking random pictures of just life. And, and it honestly, I I wasn't thinking at all about photography. It was just Mm. like memories. That's what, this was a tool to make memories. Mm. And so, uh, I, I did that for, I don't know how long. I mean, I would trust Scott in, in believing that I was probably going nuts with it. (laughs) Um, and this was film. So, you know, I'm buying all this film and developing it and everything. Mm. So, it was endearing. It wasn't annoying, but it, we also, I think, all thought it was kind of like a phase. We're mm. like, okay. Yeah, I definitely go through phases. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> even to this day, I mean, so that's not like a unfair assessment yeah. at all. <laughs> uh, but I went back, I don't know how many, I keep saying I went back. I don't know how many times I went home, but at one point, however many months or a year had passed, probably not even that long, I was home and I was just telling my parents about life and I told them I've been taking pictures and I probably showed them some of the pictures 
And my parents' uh, response was, you're going to private school you cannot, we cannot afford mm. film and developing. That's the last thing you can mm. be doing. Uh, and so I couldn't really argue with that. What was your major? Uh, I, I went, well, at this point it was business administration. Okay. Mm. I went there to study computer science Okay. and then I did not like that. So I switched <laughs> to business administration. Um, Which probably translates a little bit into what you're doing. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, it totally does. Um, that wasn't the plan. It just, it worked out well. But, yeah. um, so I, I went back and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm taking these pictures. And then my parents are like, you need to stop. And so mm-hmm. I had this last role of who knows what that I was like, let me, I'm just going to develop this and then I'll be done. And they're like, fine. So I took it down to long's drugs and, Long's drugs. um, I dropped it off and you drop it off. I don't remember what time. And if you get it in at a certain time, the next day it will be ready by like two o'clock in the afternoon and you can pick up your prints. Oh, old school. Yeah, yeah. Now you just get one hour digital. Well, well no, yeah. I mean, you don't, it's not even an hour. It's like, you just look yeah. at the back of your camera, yeah. but Oh, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even see the pictures. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So I dropped them off and I had no patience and I hate waiting. So, um, shout out to Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so <laughs> I, but I always went back early and, I also was always getting into trouble. So I had a constant guilty conscience. This is the stupidest thing when you think about it. But I went back the next day at noon to pick up the prints. And I was so terrified because I was early and I didn't want to get scolded or something like that. I was just constantly thinking that anything I did would get me in trouble or scolded. Wow. <laughs> and so wow. I went in and the girl working there, I said, I didn't, the prints were not in the bin. And so I asked if they were ready. And, um, she said, what's your name? And I told her and she said, um, Oh, hold on one second. And I was like, Oh geez, like, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> and, um, she, I don't remember what she got on the phone or did something, but she comes back to the counter and she's like, the lab manager would like to speak with you for a moment. And I'm thinking like, I'm in trouble. Wow. I should run. Like yeah. right now, I should just I was run. early. Yeah. Oh, no, they're going to shoot me. I know, which is so funny to think about because as I tell this story, I'm oh, like... you punk kids these days <laughs> showing up early for your photographs. This happens every We're week. We're going to call oh, in our gosh, manager again, this guy. What, what did I think was going to happen? But I was terrified. <laughs> oh and gosh, so, so I good. stuck around and this, um, this, this woman comes out and she's holding this uh, pack of prints in her hand and she's kind of like tapping them on her hand and she's like, did you take these? And I'm perceiving this to be accusatory and I'm thinking like, I'm not admitting to anything, you know, like oh you show me the prints first and then yeah. we'll, then we'll talk. <laughs> so she's like showing me the prints and they're my pictures. And this is the most confusing situation in the world to me. Like, why are we even talking about this? Like, what is there to discuss? Give me my prints. Yeah. Just give me my prints. I, I'd like I to got go. here early. I know. <laughs> I love that so detail. she <laughs> said, um, she's, she's like, these are yours. And I said, well, yeah. And she's like, you have a good eye. And I, and that honestly just kind of creeped me out more than anything. I mean, mm. I liked the feeling of a compliment, but I was mm. like confused about, I did not know what that meant. You this, had is, a good this eye. is just pictures of the breakfast club. Don't worry. About yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, uh, have you ever considered being a photographer? Hmm. And I had absolutely no idea what that meant or how that was even hmm. a thing. The town I grew up in was like a town of 5,000 people. And there was, the record B was the newspaper. And as far as I understood, record B. as far as wow. I knew, you know, the janitor was also the editor and the photographer. I mean, it was like, you know, yeah. I saw someone taking pictures every once in a while, like a high school game or something, but 
I never in a million years thought that that would be something that you could actually do for mm-hmm. a living. The other part of this story was at this time, I was majoring in business and I had a pretty good job. Um, I was a marketing intern at a large software company in Seattle hmm. and I was getting paid really well, um, especially for the time of someone my age and my lack of experience would be getting paid. And so everyone's like, just stick with that, you know. Hmm. But I had this burning desire to be in charge of something at this hmm. point in my life. That's all I knew. And eight, so, eight vibes. <laughs> eight vibes. <laughs> I was constantly asking like professors or mentors, you know, what should I do? And and to be fair, all I was giving them was I want to be in charge of something. But all the advice I was getting back was put in your 20 years and, you know, in 20 years you'll get promoted and then you'll be in charge of some people and stuff. And that did not sit well with me at all. Like that was the last thing that I wanted to do. Um, and so I was asking that question and I was really, I mean, I've, I've probably said this to a number of different things, but I think I just had fear. I, I you know, I, I didn't know, everything was so unknown and I had all these expectations of myself mm-hmm. and others. And and so go back to this lab, here's this lady telling me that something I did just because I wanted to was interesting to her. Mm-hmm. And I could not have talked about that at the time the way I can now looking back, mm-hmm. but on a, just a very basic core level, that kindness in her um, willingness to take the time to say something kind to me, um, it like just drove to like a part of my core that like had never been touched before. Mm. And I wow. immediately felt like without knowing what being a photographer meant, like I decided right then and there that I'm going to be a photographer. Wow. And so I drove home and in, in, in burst through the door and not 24 hours earlier had a very civil discussion with my parents about the fact that I would no longer be taking photographs. <laughs> and I, come through the door and I announce I am going to be a photographer. <laughs> oh yeah. I can just see how that all played out. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, it, like hell you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Get I back to that private Christian college. I can't, I cannot remember degree. how that conversation went, but I'm sure it was confusing, <laughs> <laughs> but I went back to school and I just put all of my energy into mm. figuring out what that meant to be a photographer and how to do it. Mm-hmm. I also think it highlights, you know, as a parent, like to think about school, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm watching, I'm watching school happen in an entirely different way now. And yeah. it's, it's reflecting on how much I took it for granted, but at the same time, how uh, limited schooling is because it puts us in categories and boxes and says, you know, even going to college before we hardly know ourselves, we're supposed to choose a major and then we're spending mm-hmm. all this money and these institutions want us to spend this money. So like I have an SPU recruiter coming to my high school and now, so it's kind of cool even at that stage, uh, real school, I think started to happen in, in the way I described it, in the sense that here you are in this place, you're taking these classes, but you also have access to a library. Mm. And this was before like, I remember, I think my junior year Spanish class, our Spanish teacher told us about Google. Hmm. I remember it distinctly. I was like, whoa. Uh, Junior year of high school? College. Oh, college. Yeah, so that's how old we are. And I remember (laughs) thinking, I I mean, at the time, like we used Yahoo and that was a really archaic search engine. So the idea that you just type in a page and just a page would show up with no ads and no extra stuff and you could just type straight up in what you were searching for was a complete novelty. Side note, 
but the real, what I'm saying about John is that like real school started because he would do his classes and his assignments and stuff, but then he'd go study photography in the library. Mm-hmm. He'd get like books on Ansel Adams and check those out and he'd be reading those and that's how he'd be spending his time. Yeah. And that's a real education that it's like yeah. really learning and studying what you want to learn and study, you know? And so you were sort of doing that despite like your major <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. 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 That, I, that was like the first time I really felt motivated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to backtrack though. And also to kind of give credit, uh, I was telling that story and, uh, quite a while ago. I don't remember exactly when, but it had been several years. Um, and someone asked me after the talk if I had ever reconnected with the, with the woman who had said that. And mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe I had never thought of that before. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I called, I called the drugstore and, um, I couldn't remember her name, but I asked, I tried to describe who I was looking for. And they said that, uh, she did still work there. Her name was Colleen Potter. Mm-hmm. And they said, wow. she, they said that she would be there the next day. So I called back the next day and, um, I, you I talked to her. Yeah, I talked to her the next day, and I I tried just like explaining who I was, and I I couldn't get very far. And she's like, I remember who you are, and I just like I said, you know, I just want to let you know that you changed my life. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm this is what I'm doing right now, and it, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for you. And she started crying. Wow. And I started crying, and we just had wow. this really um, wonderful conversation. And um, anyway, I was just so I was so grateful that I was able to connect with her, and then. Six months later, my mom sent me, uh, she sent me a, a letter in the mail and it was Colleen's obituary mm-hmm. and she had passed mm. just unexpectedly. She was, wow. I think just, I think just in her fifties, I want to say. Um, but then just in the last six months, her son has reached out and connected with me and he's mm-hmm. now interested in what? photography What? and he heard wow. me telling that story somewhere, I guess about his mom and, um, but anyway, yeah, so I just, I, I can't tell that story without like acknowledging her and, and what Absolutely. what an impact that sh- she made on me. Another I've side, never heard that story. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Something else that I think we were talking about earlier that, that Macy mentioned was like about art and kind of having it always be inside you was just a couple of years ago, I was visiting my parents and my mom or my grandma got out. They keep everything and so um she had a letter from my first grade teacher which we i I was born in santa barbara and we moved after my i think after first grade and um my teacher in first grade wrote a letter to me which i had no memory of until a couple years ago when it was shown to me again and she said john you are an artist don't ever forget that Hmm. Hmm. and i was like grandma said that no, my teacher, my oh, first teacher. grade teacher. Wow. But oh, she wrote that. She kept that. Yeah. She wrote that in a letter and um, wow. I had never seen it. And I just thought, man, you know, if it wasn't, that letter could have, I mean, even though it was in me, like I didn't know it. It took mm. Colleen to tell me that. Mm. And then I was thinking like, what if Colleen never told me that? Like that, you know, what if, what if Colleen wrote me a letter and, and I forgot about her or something? Like what if two people told me that and it was in me and I still never connected mm. it? Like it just... It, it makes you realize like it, it's not, we like to talk so much about how much it's self, but just, you know, it's not about self. It's about others and, and community. Oh, and, and, you know, mm. especially with, I think maybe, I mean, maybe all of our industries, but I feel like my industry, especially it's so much about me, me, me. And like, we like to elevate mm-hmm. actors or mm-hmm. photographers, not really, but chefs, you know, especially or whatever it is. And so often the story is like about them, but I just feel like, how many times is an individual able to achieve something because someone else showed them a kindness, you know, mm. or took Most the time? Times, to, probably. Yeah, I mean, I would venture it, yeah. to guess every yeah. time, multiple yeah. times, <laughs> you know, or saw something in them and 
said it. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually said something. Yeah. Oh, what a wow. good story. See, I said John's a good storyteller. Isn't you are that's a, a good, good story. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'd never heard that story before. Yeah. That's so good. I think, I think we're going to, we're going to keep going with this segment. This yeah. is the John origin story segment because that's the, that's the true origin story. But then I want to go one step into the next part of the origin story, which is like now John has like fully committed to photography. Mm-hmm. So he's doing weddings, which is a total hustle, but he's also Okay, again, we're sitting in John's studio now, office, studio. Um, he's got some sort of giant, humongous printer in here, <laughs> you know, which I've I've never seen anywhere else. I mean, we work at a church where there's like a, a lot of industrial, yeah, you know, mass producing printing machines. This is something I've never seen before. So we're sitting next to that. But having said that, I remember John living in a house that's actually very similar to yours. I think there was like six housemates. And he had very, in my mind, presumptuously ordered a giant printer. For your house? Yeah. For for himself. For photographs. Oh, wow. Could have been, been that big. I don't know. Well, not this big by any stretch of the imagination, but bigger than a typical it's, printer. Yeah, it's probably bigger than... It was like a professional, in my mind, in my ignorance was a professional printer. So he's living at this house... We're all still sort of tied in this ignorant way to him finishing his business degree or something. We're like, this is a side hustle. He's doing these photographs. When are you going to start getting your job? And and he, this was. Did the you cool still have the internship? I, I actually, um, I got laid off in the dot com bust. So I was laid off one day with like three quarters of the company. Wow. And um, you know, my boss and her boss were. I, I was called in on a day I wasn't working and I went in and it was very confusing because there was just, it was on, it was a building on Lake Union, mm-hmm. one of the taller buildings on Lake Union. And there was just the whole stairway as I was walking in was filled with people crying. And I was like, mm-hmm. what is whoa, going on? Whoa. <laughs> and I went upstairs and they what, brought me in the with- the AGC building? What it building wasn't that one. It was the one next to it, okay, the other okay. tall one. And so I went in and they brought me in with like three other interns and they laid us off and I was ecstatic. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. You, I was now so I'm going to do photography. Yeah. And yeah, it was like they gave me the push that I was too scared to, <laughs> to, to take myself, you know, the, and, and I got paid like a severance package, which I thought was crazy. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so they, I got laid off and then um, not a week later, I got my first paid gig <laughs> on my own. And then just kind of blessing in disguise went from there. Yeah. So John's at this house. He's, uh, here's, here's, here's the thing that sometimes I think about us and think about being inspired by John. And this is again, one of the reasons I want to interview John is he, he's inspirational mm-hmm. in some ways. Other ways, not so inspirational. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> no, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> that's, that's true for all of us. It's true for everyone. Um, but uh, he started making T-shirts. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if you have any here, John. But uh, yeah. I might have a couple. That was what sort of have? his first, like, sort of. I would call it some sort of guerrilla advertising or something like that. You that know? is a funny. That I forgot about that. That's a. That's a. I guess you kind of have to tell that story at this point. Well, these T-shirts actually became pretty ubiquitous. They became it became a thing. It became a thing. People wanted these T-shirts, and what it, what were the T-shirts? It was just his name on it. Said Keatley in Helvetica font. And so I had I don't remember when it was, but um, Joe King, who we went to school with, who's a really talented designer, 
he designed my first well i had i was i had a wedding business when i started but then i started getting into like non-wedding kinds of things and i was trying to rebrand and so i was operating under john keatley photography that's how everyone did it and some people still do is they full name of photography it's more like a yellow pages days kind of approach you know so i hired him to make a new logo and he did a bunch of logos and then one of them he presented he's like i know this isn't what you're asking for but i think it's really cool and i think you should consider it and it was just my last name it's the logo i still use today Hmm. all lowercase all lowercase and it was um i just wasn't expecting that at all and i Hmm. it was funny like my response was, that's hilarious. I don't know. Why is that hilarious? I have no idea. It just was like, you know how someone talks about something that you really care about and they're clearly ignorant and they just say stupid things and it's like offensive. I, I had no <laughs> thoughts on branding or design or anything like yeah. that other than the fact that I just went to business school. But um, <laughs> I, anyway, I I was like, that's crazy. How is anyone going to know what I do? And he's like, "It that's, that's called building a brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have, it takes time and then people they, they build memories and associations. Like you have to put in that work. And, but I remember saying like, it's so awesome. It looks like a real brand. It's like, well, dude, if you don't, it is a real brand. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't think you're a real brand, then you're going to go out of business pretty quick. <laughs> but anyway, thankfully I decided to use it. And I was like, I just, I was like, it looks so cool. Cause it looked like uh, some brand in you know, any brand that I was into Vans or Hurley or something. I was like, I got to put it on a shirt. How awesome would that be? And so I made like five shirts. You I, went all in. Wow. No, I just made like well, five so shirts. initially five shirts, but... And then, you know, someone... Then you or someone wanted one, and so I was like, well, I'll make like 10 more. I mean, I, I didn't... I didn't... Wasn't trying to like put any money into it, really. Uh, and then Scott and I were leading Young Life. But I think even before then, somehow, next thing I know, like, people were like, no, I seriously want one. Like, hmm. where can I buy one? Next thing I know, I've got like a box of shirts in my All trunk. All colors. And I'm selling t-shirts out of my trunk. And wow, it's just the look. Then like people from our, from our SPU were buying them. And then like a friend of ours was working for MTV and he was passing them out. Dan Caster. Yeah. Wow. And I want to say like someone, one of the black eyed peas wore one in a photo one day. Yeah. It's funny to think about even that season was almost less about the photography and more about the t-shirts, but it was getting the brand. Well, it got to the point where I'd sold a few thousand t-shirts. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a pretty serious conversation with my friend, Brian Pape. Pape. And he's, he's the founder of mirror. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, should I do photography or sell shirts? Like that was, it was, I was selling it. Sell shirts. I know. It's so funny. I have this friend. He's a shirt salesman but i mean it was it was crazy it was like the kind of thing where like there was a dorm in uh, there was a college in oregon where an entire dorm or fraternity bought keatley shirts as their like floor shirt thing or whatever and that's when that's when i started asking that question when people i no longer knew started Mm. or and then i had set up an online store people started ordering them that i didn't even know and then one day um i was doing a shoot i had my first shoot um, my first shoot for a magazine that wasn't a local magazine. So mm. it was a really big deal for me. It was for uh, Rolling Stone. Wow. And, I, they, and I was, it was down in Vegas. I was photographing one of the artists at the Latin Grammys. 
and I was with him. I was following him in the Bellagio, and wow. someone walked through the lobby of the Bellagio wearing a oh Keatley shirt, goodness. and I didn't know him. Yeah, and that was the yeah. first time I had actually seen someone wearing it that wasn't a friend of mine or something. That was so surreal. I bet. Anyway. I'm glad I didn't. And I'm glad I finally, I was like, okay, you know, enough with the shirts. It was taking too much time. Like I was. Yeah. It, it brings me back to memories that I haven't thought about in a long time of like wearing a Keatley shirt. I'm thinking I'm wearing it to like support my friend in his <laughs> photography. And then I'm around town and somebody's like, Oh, John Keatley. He's, he's a photographer. I'm like, yeah, he's my friend. This is his shirts. And like, yeah, but you know, Keatley shirts, you know, I'm like, Wait, or someone or like, <laughs> or friends would go up to people and they'd see someone at the gym and they're like, Oh, you know, Keatley. And they're like, who the hell is Keatley? Yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah, the shirt. And they're like, I just like the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the hell is yeah. Keatley? <laughs> <laughs> so wild. But anyway, it was, it was, I was just packaging and sending shirts. It was mm. taking too much time. Wow. And so finally I was just like, that was a cool yeah, side note. And again, this is one of those things where I don't know if I'll keep it in there, but it was funny because then you were living at the Daytona house, right? Day- Dayton, 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 Dayton house, Daytona. And then you were living at the Woodlawn house, right? Woodlawn was, yeah, I was, yeah. Well, I mean, not that JJ anyone cares. Lived there. Wow. Sean lived there. Yeah. And wow. Kirk lived there. Yeah. And it was funny because there was a little bit of a low key competition between your shirts and Kirk was, Making these like a don't oh, touch. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or what were they called? He had a brand. Hands what was off that? Or something. He's gonna laugh at me so much. Practical. He had a shirt or practical. something called practical. Yeah, but there was like a, or leave no trace. Or something. Yeah, that's right. I'm butchering all the shirts, but you both would have like racks of shirts, <laughs> and yours were obviously like doing a little bit better than oh shirts. But <laughs> the Keatley shirt. Keatley shirt. It's classic. Keatley classic. Yeah. yeah. So good. Okay, so I think that's our segment on the, the origin stories because there, there's more, but that's the gist. Yeah. Like someday maybe we'll do a. M- Macy and I keep talking about doing part twos to all these episodes. How did that even come up? The shirt. I don't know, but, but it's I think important. You brought it up. Okay, we're back. We're back, everybody. So I think what we want to hear from John now is like where he's at currently. We're, we're basically skipping over 20 years. Mm-hmm. He had a career in photography. Story. What's that? That he was his origin, origin story. story. That's how he got started. And then, and then he started getting more commercial gigs and uh, started becoming more successful. Started becoming more comfortable with his viewpoint and his art. And he got married. He had some kids. He got some dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> built a studio. Um, but, but so skipping over all that, I would just say, or ask like, how would you describe what you're currently doing? Like, what is your career looking like now? Um, I mean, that's, it feels so broad. Um, uh, well, I guess, um, right now I'm primarily focused on, um, I mean, I am doing a lot of advertising work, hmm. uh, but I am, I would say my focus in the majority of my waking, um, waking moments are kind of spent thinking about my personal work, my fine art work hmm. ideas that, um, not all necessarily, they don't all necessarily direct relate or 
relate, sorry, I'm losing my words here. They don't all relate directly to my like adolescence or, you know, life experiences in general, they are tied to those themes, but I'm mostly just thinking about creating and following curiosities and, um, points of interest and just kind of getting my hands dirty and experimenting. And so I have a number of projects as I wrap up uniform and and get ready to release the book, I'm already working on a few other things and just kind of exploring those. But really for me, that's it. I mean, it's just creating work that I uh, feel good about and that I enjoy. And so you're, you balance sort of the fine art personal piece with more of a commercial commercial (laughs) let's leave that in there for everybody's entertainment a a commercial element in the sense of you're getting hired for gigs where you're photographing musicians or basketball players or actors well i'm I'm, yeah i mean something some of it more more specifically i think my advertising work now is i tend to work with um celebrity was definitely something that i was really into for a long time and i've been distancing myself Mm. from that intentionally in the last year or so maybe um but primarily i'm working with with models and actors not necessarily um famous or people you names you would recognize but people that i can actually really work with and collaborate Mm -hmm. if you work with a celebrity or an actor it's they don't want to do what you do they want to do what they want to do and that's not what i'm interested in i'm interested in creating something from my perspective and you have to have a willing participant to do that mm-hmm. so a lot of that i mean that's not to, sometimes i'll have an ad campaign where like there will be a celebrity attached to it and that's mm-hmm. still fine but um more specifically my work has moved a little more away from that and that's where the simile similarities really are with my fine art work and my advertising work is the approach is really the same i'm finding people that look or convey a feeling or an attitude or an emotion that I'm wanting to include in my work Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of crafting this character around them, um, so to speak. So right now, um, it's hard to say like what percentage of my time or what that balance looks like. I think down the road, I would sure I would love to just be doing fine art. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, it's really like a completely different business. Mm. You know, it's really kind of two different businesses. And so I'm trying to carefully find that balance of how to navigate both. Cause this is the first time in my career where, um, I've had lots of transitions as I mentioned, but the thing I've been transitioning into has always been me also fleeing as fast as I can from the previous thing, which I want nothing to do with. This is the first time that that's not the case because I really do love advertising. Um, and I love the collaboration and the creativity and just in the ideas that are actually outside of myself that I get to work with fine art totally satisfies what I want to do, but I do love, something that someone else wrote that's hilarious Hmm. and maybe something I would have ever thought of myself, you know? So that's why this balancing act is a little different is because it's not as simple as just cutting something off. It's like really wanting to make sure that I do take care of this thing that I do still have and care about as well as facilitate something new that I'm also growing. So it's, it's going to take time and um, growing any brand takes time. And that's essentially what I'm doing is growing a new a new brand. So it's, it's almost, what were you going to say? You no, you go. I was going to cut you off. I've, I've talked way too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was just curious about like where you are now. If you can think back of certain projects or like, especially in terms of advertising that you've loved doing. 
I mean, I can, I, I would say probably four out of every five ad campaigns I do, I really do enjoy. Really? Um, that would, I mean, that would be true for this year and last year though. I just got back from um, Barcelona a couple of weeks ago and I was there for about two and a half weeks and I shot, um, I shot all the stills and I directed all of the, um, videos for, um, eggs for the American egg board. <laughs> it always sounds so, <laughs> yeah. I try to tell people about that. And it always sounds so funny. Like when you say something, I try to compare it to milk. It's like, well, yeah, yeah my friend, John shoots for egg, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> oh, it'd be like getting a milk account. Like what's milk, you know, the incredible yeah. edible egg or yeah, like yeah. got milk. Like these are <laughs> ad campaigns. Yeah. yeah. But it sounds so strange to say <laughs> for eggs, yeah. all eggs everywhere. <laughs> for eggs but it was, the world. Yeah. but it was so fun because, um, you know, we just had this incredible team of creative people that, um, you know, the, the creative team at the agency who came up with this concept and, and, you know, put their trust in me to, to make it a reality. And then, you know, my producer and, and the whole crew and the wardrobe stylist and everyone like, well, you know, this year was a little bigger than last year. We got to make like 16 distinct characters and kind of create these little stories around them and, and create mm -hmm. portraits for them. And it was really That's intense. So cool. It's kind of one of those things where it's, it's kind of like making a video in that sense that you basically just go somewhere for a month and all you do is work on this. And mm -hmm. it takes a lot of energy and it's exhausting, but it's really fun. And mm -hmm. then the end result is just like so rewarding. I mean, the, the portraits and the videos that... Um, that I created, you know, they're attached to a brand, but they literally feel like something I would have wanted to do just for fun mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. And, and most of the work I've been getting in the last few years has felt like that, mm -hmm. which is, is uh, really important to me and, and why I think like my fine art work is also even important, even in a commercial sense, because there's so many people that just do something to make money, but you know, if you don't love what you do, how are you supposed to even do a good job at that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so right. that's kind of the cycle for me is making sure I'm taking care of myself and what I want to create and that will inform the commercial work as well. So mm -hmm. it used to be years ago, definitely a struggle where I constantly felt like I was doing something for someone else that I didn't want to do. They were showing me someone else's work and like, make it kind of like this or like, oh, what should it look gosh, like? Yeah. You know, I feel like crushed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, or well, we're, thank you. we're talking about what it should look like. And if I actually knew who I was, that wouldn't necessarily be a question, but I didn't know who I was either. So mm -hmm. like, I'm just picking something out of a hat and, and doing it. And sometimes it was interesting and sometimes it wasn't. So, mm. um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it answers the question. <laughs> that's a big thing of yours is identity. And it's really interesting because mm -hmm. that's something we talk a lot about. I think the Enneagram's a lot about that, but just for everybody listening, John also does these workshops and I know we're not here to plug workshops, but <laughs> that that's I remember you telling me and I could be wrong or remembering this wrong but that you started introducing the con the idea of introversion and extroversion in some of your workshops or your presentations or conversations well yeah so that's yeah. another story mm -hmm. that Scott is uh, directly tied to I was <laughs> I'm not I didn't mean it that no, no, no. <laughs> that's not talk about a time I've influenced <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> so I was Scott was living in LA um, a few years back and I was down there for work. I want to say, I don't remember exactly, but, um, we met up for dinner one night and Scott, as he often does, like had a question, a, a big question ready. And, um, <laughs> and we sat down and he was like, do you think you're an introvert or an extrovert? <laughs> I can imagine this. And I was 
no question I'm an extrovert. Like mm. I've always known that I'm an extrovert. Mm. I've always known that about myself. I've always been told that about myself. And then I don't know, I'm guessing you knew, but he he's, he followed up my response with another question. And he said, when you leave a party and you've been hanging out and having a good time, when you leave a party, do you feel exhausted and you don't want to see anyone anymore? Or you are full of energy and you want to keep going? And I was like, oh, I'm exhausted, no question. Hmm. And he said, you're an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> just now, this is funny because the, like, we just did line. an episode on introvert, extrovert. And I was, I was dumbfounded to think, to reflect back on the idea that, that this is when I was discovering it, was when I was down in Pasadena. And yeah. I was 35 or 36. I was very old to be figuring that out. Right. Yeah, yeah. same, same. Yeah. And you could be an ambivert. That's what we were talking about in our episode yeah, last week, which is a little, it's a little mix of both. <laughs> it could be both. Yeah. But anyway, that was like, uh, I was almost angry and confused probably. Just like, because that it was like shocking, this idea. But... Long story short, because I don't want to go down another rabbit trail, that actually was a, a very freeing uh, and life-giving uh, realization because I I started realizing like guilt and shame I had in my life over trying to force myself to act a certain way mm-hmm. when that's not who I am or how I should be acting, you know, based on who I am. And so once I had that information about myself and could start living into that, like it opened up so many other possibilities and, and opportunities, you know, whether it be relationally or whatever it was. And I, that's, that's something that I don't know if that was, that's, that's definitely something that idea of growth and and understanding self has been something that's been a big part of my Hmm. journey because I feel like the more you understand yourself, the better life is, you know, the the better you can. I mean, I, Ernest Hemingway put it best when he says, when you, um, when you start to live outside yourself, it's all dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. for me like the simplest way to boil it down. But I, I don't know if you, this is what you were mentioning, but um, one of the one of the points I speak when I speak every once in a while, one of the things I'll talk about is I kind of have this idea of creating seven words, not creating, but discovering seven words that describe who you oh, are. Yeah, and I think oh, I forgot wow. about that. For me, um, it's kind of like an assignment you give people. Yeah, 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 and it takes time. It's not something that I mean. I even changed one of my words we earlier do this that. year. Yeah, what are your words? Um, so my words are uh, bold. Put them on the spot. Simple. Unexpected. Timeless. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to fail this test. Um, test. Your own. Test. I know. That's all right. It's okay. Cool. Those are no. good. Four, four words. I'll, I'll, they'll come to me at some point. And I'll, and I'll Bold, tell you, but simple, timeless, unexpected. Unexpected. That's good. Greatness is one. Yes. Wow. What is that? Five. Um, I'll, the other ones will come to me. But to give you an example, though, what I've discovered is you can't just write down like aspirational words or words that they can't be words that you think you are or words that you want to be like, they have to be words that hold deep. Like they have to be a true reflection of who you are, good or bad. So greatness, for example, I have learned over time that I have a deep seated need to be great. That's Mm -hmm. I think part of what drives me in my career. Mm -hmm. It's, it's maybe one of my best qualities in terms of, being uh, a business owner or a creator, it's probably one of my worst qualities when it comes to relationships or being a friend, <laughs> you know? Um, 
but I know that it's a part of me. I can't shake mm, it. It's yeah. there. Um, it's some level. But now what I've also learned in more recent years is that I don't have to let that define me though. I can actually change what that means. Mm. And so, whereas I used to say that greatness was like my worst quality in my personal life, I've, because of, you know, thanks to the advice and help of others, I've started to learn that I can make greatness, I can manifest that in terms of trying to be a great dad or a great friend. Mm. I used to just think, mm. well, what a great I want to be great at everything. It's great for running a business, but it's not so great at home. Oh, well, but now I've realized I can be more proactive about it. Like I mm. can I can channel that in different ways and, and, and use that in a positive way on, on both sides of, mm. of it. So the other, you know, going back to like- You can also be a great dog owner. <laughs> I am very, I am very kind to my dogs. Um, um, one of them is just a bit temperamental, and he drives me a little crazy. Oliver, Oliver. <laughs> but um, you know, simple. For example, that's something that before I had an understanding of what that was. Like when Nichelle and I first got married and we bought a home, we'd never been in a situation where we could decorate a home together before, mm. and so all of a sudden you have this situation without understanding. And we're like, what do we do? And, you know, I open up a pottery barn catalog. And at the time, like, they were really into white, stark mm. environments. And I was like, that's what I want. Everything on that page. And Michelle was like, I don't want to live in a, you know, a hospital. It looks like, mm. you know, sterile and, you know, uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. I just wanted that. And I didn't, without knowing why. Now I can look back and I know what I was drawn to was the simplicity of that picture. Mm. Um I didn't really want to live in that room either, but I just was like, you know, bright, shining lights. Like it's like, you know, you just grabbing like a cat, you know, going after a flashlight kind of thing. Now that I have an understanding, I've learned to identify things that I think are beautiful or interesting, but I don't need to pick every flower that I think is beautiful. It's, mm -hmm. it's enough to just be like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then keep mm -hmm. moving on until I see something that, you know, I see <laughs> Mooney. Don't need to pick every flower. Literally yesterday, I just went on a walk and picked all the flowers. Threw them in the air, took some pictures. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I, it's an interesting how a lot of this stuff ties together because one of the things we talk about in our podcast often is knowing yourself and personality mm -hmm. and stuff. But we also have been talking about white space, mm -hmm. which is that sort of dead space in the pictures that actually highlight your... Or, or in a document or a word. But we were mm -hmm. talking about in terms of a philosophy of living that you give your life... White space. downtime slash white space a, a break in the in the noise you know and your pictures mm. do a lot of that look at all the white space they really do yeah so anyway i guess to tile tile that back <laughs> in um for me the whole purpose of this exercise though i mean one of the main purposes as a creator now that i know and i've wrestled with these ideas of simplicity and bold and timeless and greatness and unexpected and i know I know those to be true. If I create something and I don't have any rules that they all have to be, but if those words aren't reflected in what I'm creating, I know that I'm outside myself mm. um, wow. because I know those to be true measures of, of who I am. And um, so that, that was Bold. kind of another way for me to look at myself and connect that with what I do and make sure that what I'm doing is intentional and meaningful and, um, and true because I've just found, and I think we all find time and time again, if you are doing something that's not true to who you are, it, there's, it's never going to end well. Hmm. doesn't mean you can't learn from it. And it's, you know, yeah. you know, I'm, some of my best lessons are because I went down those roads, but hmm. I also think there's, 
a point where you can also do great things by focusing and being more intentional on your choices too. So, uh, we're, we're we so this is 18th episode. It will be when we release it, I think. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking on our 21st episode, it's going to be a check-in episode where we sort of redefine what we're all about. Mm-hmm. But I'm just even listening to John. I'm like, this gives us a lot of good words and tools to yeah. think about how we articulate what we are. Yeah. What? Man, and this a lot, a lot of what he's saying ties into what we've been doing. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. we're we're gonna be we're gonna be heading towards a section, a, f- a concluding section, where we're going to attempt to type John on Instagram. <laughs> but but I I think I have one final question in this segment. Maybe if you have a final question, feel free. But like, the thing about John in his career, John, you. I'm sitting here with him in the flesh. In the flesh. Sitting here. What did we say earlier? In the in, in the, the flesh. flesh. Yeah, in the flesh. <laughs> Makes it sound like I'm naked or something. Yeah. In his skin. Um, is he s- photographed a lot of celebrities, like legit yeah. celebrities? So maybe I have two questions. Is how how did you start to become comfortable with that? Because you seem to mm. start. You seem to become very comfortable with that. Um, you don't seem to be a person that gets very starstruck easily, and then. I don't know if you want to highlight one or two people that was particularly cool for you to interact with. Like we have a picture of Annie Leibovitz in here. What was the first, yeah. sorry, what was the first question? Um, how, how did you start to become more acclimated or used to being around celebrities? Hmm. Like what was that like? What was that journey like for you? I mean, I think uh, it was, you know, I made mistakes and approached, you know, I, again, I think going back to that story, I, mentioned if it doesn't get cut but the you know the story of going back to the story about when i asked nichelle what she thought about an image i was working on and she had a completely different perception of of um what she wanted it to be about versus what i was thinking it should be about um i think there's a lot of i mean life i think can be boiled down to that where when i was getting into celebrity photography in in the beginning of my career I had an idea of what I wanted out of it and what I thought it was. And I, now that I have done it long enough and met enough celebrities and even gotten to know some of them, like I know what it's like for them and what they actually want out of it and what they wanted out of it and what they were looking for could not be any further from what I was looking for and what I thought it was, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that was a a big part of it was um, butting heads and, you know, making mistakes in in the first few years of my career. Um, thinking like, I'm going to go in there and this is also probably when I thought I was an extrovert. I'm going to go in there and be <laughs> so an extrovert. be so hilarious. They're going to want to be best <laughs> friends with me. You know, like I was going in there trying to impress wow. people. So. You got jokes. Um, <laughs> got no, jokes my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was just in part of that came out of just insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, of myself and, and all that. But I mean, there's a, there's several funny stories. I remember there was um, one time I was photographing someone and, and they sat down and and they started asking me all these questions about my family and they seemed really interested. And I was like, I was like, oh wow, like they really care. And like, I was like, we're gonna be friends, you know? And I set, I, oh, I set my camera down and we're talking and he's asking me all these questions and everything. And uh, all of a sudden he, he goes, well, uh, 
it's been about 10 minutes. Looks like he, he's like, he's, that's about enough time. You probably got what you need. Yeah. And he's like, all right, thanks so much. And he left. And I didn't have, I had like two. <laughs> what about our friendship? Yeah. I was like, I didn't take any pictures. I thought we were just talking. <laughs> you know, oh, no. from his perspective, he's like, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. It's a yeah. game, right? He doesn't want to have you his picture taken. You use you want. You, oh, you're using it to talk? Exactly. Yeah. So you didn't get any photos? I fell for the trap. I took like two photos. Or so. I had something, but it was not good. It was <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, the trap. You know. He likes me. Yeah. I, I caught the rubber chicken, you know yeah. I mean? Like, um, he, he had no interest in being photographed. He probably just came from three other photo shoots or something, you know? So, wow. um, you know, I think over time and you, you make enough mistakes and you start to kind of, you, you find out real quick what time it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I think part of it was just, um, I forgot the question a little bit, but I think part of it was just time and experience and learning also that these are just regular people i think that's that's the answer to the question you know i was just asking what what it was how did you become more accustomed to being around these celebrities and and i just saying yeah i think when you realize they're regular people and you don't try to impress them and you Mm -hmm. don't try to be impressed by them and one Mm -hmm. thing that i wanted i that i i don't think i ever like made this mistake but i I went out of my way to let it be known that I wanted nothing from them other than <laughs> to take their picture. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants something. From, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, you can't even imagine like what it would be like to be in that situation where everyone wants something from you and your life isn't your own. It's everyone else's. It's like, hold this, mm-hmm. wear that, do this, you know, sell this. And you, you know, I, I don't think, I think stressful. they start to not feel like humans. And so even though I am or was part of that process, like you try to, mitigate your your footprint as much as possible and then i just also got so turned off by celebrity and 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 also as much as i just talked about trying to be empathetic and understand from their perspective there's also a lot of stuff that that i don't appreciate that comes from celebrity and Mm. i just got so turned off i just was like i want nothing to do with this like and then i just stopped caring (laughs) and so now i think like um you know, I wouldn't, I would never be rude or like, you know, I would still treat them as normal, but like, I don't necessarily like get off on, Oh, I'm photographing this person, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, I'm certainly guilty of it myself, but it drives me crazy when photographers, you know, they photographed someone and that person had a birthday or won an Oscar and they're like, Oh, shout out to so-and-so. It's like, dude, you met him for like five minutes. Like Mm. you're not friends. You don't know them. Like (laughs) they don't owe you anything. But again, from the celebrity's perspective, like what would that be like if every time anyone, anyone that's ever taken a picture with you or met you is constantly like leveraging you Mm. for Mm. their own purposes. And it's like, you know, you can understand why it's hard to have relationships or friendships or, you know, any kind of trust with anyone. And so I just, I just have so much like going on in my head and so much anxiety and, and things that I do care about. I just was like, why am I putting so much of my energy and time and thought process into trying to get the next celebrity shoot Mm -hmm. so that I can show it off to get the next one. It's like, what's the end game here? And and I'm not even really enjoying what I'm creating. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you're basically these days, you're taking a picture of a famous face. Um, you know, I think it, you used to be able to do something creative with celebrities. Now they're so guarded and there's so much, um, there's so many publicists and mm-hmm. PR reps and roadblocks. It's like to try to do anything other than just have them sit there and look into the camera is like nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. 
and I've got other things I'd rather like argue over than trying to get someone, you know, like to, to mm. wear the blue shirt instead of the red shirt or whatever it is, you know? So, um, but it would be so fun. It seems if somebody was game to just be a prop for you yeah. and do your vision. Well, the cool thing is I, that I get, that's what I do now. And yeah. it's, it's, but, but they don't, they're not celebrities. They're not celebrities, but they, that a celebrity doesn't actually add anything to what I'm trying to achieve. True. Mm. If anything, that's a celebrity fun. is actually a detraction. Mm. I had a, a project recently where, um, I had the opportunity to work with like, you know, again, here I'm categorizing humans, but like, like a B list celebrity or something. Okay. And they were pitching. I'm like, wouldn't that be cool? And I was like, actually, if I, if I put them in this, um, it's going to be about them and the whole meaning or idea is completely lost. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not creating to just show someone that I met someone for five minutes. Wow. There's actually like a purpose to this. And so I think for a lot of what I'm doing, unless it's like an ad campaign, um, celebrity makes no sense it's a detra- it's a distraction mm-hmm. um and it's not something that i want to have you know be a part of of that so i for me someone that no one has ever seen or at least doesn't recognize on a on a broad scale allows me to create something and 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 create a feeling in someone else in the same way that like you know you think about a movie where i don't know if this is the best example but star wars you know the first one when maybe at least most of those people no one had ever heard of before you know you can believe that character truly because it's not like uh, yeah. he was Batman last year, but now he's so-and-so, you know, it's like, I, I love movies. Yeah, Mark that, Hamill. Yeah. I love movies that uh, cast people yeah. who you don't know. I mean, again, like why are you casting this person? Is it cause they're truly a great actor sometimes, but a lot of times it's because of, they think they can sell more tickets if that person's in there kind of thing. But so, Joaquin, Joaquin Felix is going to be the Joker pretty soon. And that's pretty cool. I did hear about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did hear about that. <laughs> So anyway, yeah. I, that's a. I, don't, I hope that doesn't come across as negative. I no, no um, it's honest. But I, I, and then I think the second part that I'd be interested in, if you if you have an answer, is was there somebody particularly that was special photographer that you that you are grateful to have met or ph- photographed? Um, nope, nobody. No, yeah, no I mean, there's special. no, there's definitely like, I mean, did you photograph Bill Murray? No, I, okay. I, that would be awesome. I never photographed him. No, I mean, no. I would say there's lots of shoots that I did with people that were meaningful for different reasons. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, I, I photographed Sarah Palin's book cover. Oh, I forgot and, about that. You know, That's wow. wild. He went wow. up to Alaska. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that shoot saved my career. So like wow. people mm-hmm. always think like, oh, you're a, Sarah, you're, you're a Sarah Palin fan, huh? But like, I'm like, well, kind of am because like <laughs> I was about to go broke, you know, before yeah. I got that shoot. Wow. So um, totally forgot about that. How long ago was that? That was in 2009. Wow. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. a while ago. Mm-hmm. Nine years? So that was meaningful yeah. for for that, mm-hmm. for more of a self-preservation <laughs> type, yeah. type, type reason. But, um, and also it was a fun shoot and it was a big shoot. Um, you know, yeah, for, I remember at the time you had some crazy, funny, interesting, sweet stories about her family. Like, cause you were hanging out up there. Yeah, there was some, definitely some funny stories and some crazy stories too. But, um, you know, I guess another one would be Annie Leibovitz. Like I yeah. photographing... Annie Leibovitz was um, an incredible experience. And that image was probably one of the images that started, really started my career, that portrait I got of her because she hadn't really been photographed in quite some time. And it's uh, hanging up here in the office. Oh yeah, it is. Which here. is so great because it truly represents the eye of the photographer. You know, I love that. So that one is, that one's definitely meaningful. Um, I'm sure there's others as well. Those are the two that stand out just because I think they were really more at the beginning, mm-hmm. but 
um, there's been some really cool people that I've met and really kind people. And um, oftentimes if it's for a magazine, if it's editorial, I spend maybe 10 minutes max with them, sometimes longer. But um, if it's for an ad campaign, you might spend quite a bit more time with them. And then, and also they're getting paid. So there may be a little more excited to be there. Whereas like editorial, you know, they might have to do it to promote their movie or something, but um, maybe they don't want to be there as much, Mm. but there it is. <laughs> uh, coming up, we're going to try something new with John. He he uh, he said he's up for it, <laughs> which is he's not he's not as entirely familiar with the Enneagram as we'd like him to be. Oh <laughs> no, my god! No that's, prob- that's probably that's true. That's not yeah. true. <laughs> Maybe um, a Scott would like him. No, to <laughs> no. Uh, it's actually prime prime time, a prime opportunity to to familiarize John with the Enneagram in real time. This is an yeah. experiment. This is an experiment. So we're going to do it. Oh, we're going to try to read him a few descriptions and see his responses. Okay, good. So you <laughs> okay. Know, la- last week we did a ending our Trinity episode with some, unique benedictions. Some unique I, benedictions. I, I think we're trying to incorporate the Enneagram into our episodes. So, I mean, I would guess I would say up until this point, um, hopefully you've enjoyed this uh, episode on John Keatley. I've and enjoyed the conversation. This next part is going to be more of a fun, playful, interesting engagement with John and the Enneagram. So stick around if you're interested in that. We'll catch you later. <laughs> We're so back. <laughs> we are back. And actually, I just want to highlight the, the fact that on the way to podcasting tonight, we drove to West Seattle for the for you Seattleites. And Macy enjoyed a Red Bull, an actual Red I Bull. Oh, enjoy an tonight. actual Red Bull. We always joke about her getting a Red Bull, and tonight she got an <laughs> actual Red Bull. Did. Do you drink Red Bull? That's like... Mm-hmm. I thing? do drink Red Bull. Oh, yeah. oh, this Macy's wasn't like 23. Your fir- this wasn't your first Red, Red Bull. Bull. This is not uh, my first Red Bull. Um, okay, so we think John, the only, in our minds, the only possible numbers for John are three, four, and eight. He just took a test mm-hmm. while we were on our break mm-hmm. that potentially points to him being an eight. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that he could have, four, he p- could probably have four in his tri-type. That's a whole other story. We haven't really gotten <laughs> to tri-types in story. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to start by reading John the basic fears of the types and see which one he relates most mm. to. Good call. The basic fear of the three is of being worthless without value apart from their achievements. That's a three. That's okay. the three's underlying fear. It's their motivation. Okay. And now we're going over to the four. Everybody, for your, if you care to know, I'm using the wisdom of the, the Enneagram, wisdom. a book we've recommended <laughs> several times. Um, the four's basic fear, Macy's, is of having no identity and no personal significance. No, of having no identity and no personal significance. The core fear of the four. Core fear of the eight, of being harmed or controlled by others. That's, That's probably me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting because even as he was talking, I kept thinking four. Mm-hmm. So here's my next step. 
What's your because he up? says eight, I'll I'll read some eight descriptions. Mm-hmm. But then I want to go back to the four. Just I want to read the four wing three because I. You want to be the one to read it? Well, you can. I don't care are who reads you, it. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm. I'm being. I just. I want kind of, us to read it, and we have to give him a chance to identify with that. Mm-hmm. So, out of the eights, do you do you would you think John is an eight wing seven or an eight wing nine? Which one? Seven. Okay, seven. Okay, seven. The, okay, let me just read the <laughs> let me let me read the the names of these types because I would lean nine for John. I don't. I met John tonight. I know, but everyone. You've been listening to him for a while. <laughs> so uh, the eight wing seven is called the independent. Could be John. Could be John for sure. This is just so you know, for our sakes, and nobody will know what I'm saying when I say this. Um, actually, no, nope. I take it back. <laughs> Cut it out because it's not true. I was going to say Travis is an eight wing seven, but he's a seven wing eight. Hmm. So that's different. My dad's an eight wing seven. Yeah, there it I is. I think. Okay, here comes John, your dad, maybe. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the eight wing seven is called the independent. Now that could describe John for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read this to you, John, and we want your real time reaction. Here we go. Eight wing seven. Having a quick mind combined with a vision for practical possibilities, people of this subtype are often charismatic and able to attract the support of others to join them in their vision. True so far, I think. They are action-oriented and want to have an impact on their world. They are also good at challenging others to stretch their abilities and to surpass their own expectations so that their lives can be better in some practical way. This is the most independent subtype. Hmm. Wow. This is... It's so interesting to read these descriptions in the presence of the person you're trying to describe. I agree. Often entrepreneurial. Hmm. Holy moly. And interested in creating projects that will ensure their independence. Jeez, hmm. isn't it funny how we so quickly just jump to four? But yeah, listen to this person. Yeah, the eight wing seven. Okay, now one of the things we love about the enneagram is it also highlights your shadow side. So, <laughs> so now, here we go. Now we're, now we're heading into the shadow. I don't have a shadow. Yeah, side. I don't have it. <laughs> People of this subtype are adventurous risk takers. They tend to have quote unquote big plans. Hmm. And in order to enlist the cooperation of others to make big promises and exaggerate the potential of their ventures. They are also one of the most sociable types, talkative and outgoing with great self-confidence. They are pragmatic, practical, and competitive and are not overly concerned with pleasing others or with putting up with what they perceive as weakness and inefficiency. Hmm. They can become impatient, impulsive, and more likely to be led by their feelings than the other subtype. They are more openly aggressive and confrontational and less likely to back down from a fight. Woo. Mm. That sounds like John to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of that resonates. I don't you know what the crazy thing about this is Avery is an eight wing seven. Really? My daughter. Well, think of yourself in like your and 20s. Your dad, Avery, your dad. It's John. true. Think of yourself in like your 20s too. And yeah, that's he's kind mellowed of, for sure. You know, like yeah. you're, this will probably describe you more in that time. Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Your raw state. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Huh. I don't. I don't even feel like I read it. Wait, is this? Am I deciding between this and the last one, or this is something totally different? No, this. Those is, were all the same thing. So this. That is, was your. That was the good and and unhealthy side of the same. Thing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So that's an eight wing seven. So we're we're deciding whether or not you're an eight or a four. Well, we're what? not deciding anything. Decide. We're introducing the enneagram and potentially saying what you could. You're labeling. Be. Yeah. It's gonna take. <laughs> months of work to really understand what type you are if you want to i don't even feel like reading the wing nine because i don't think it's john i don't think it is okay so i'm going to go to the four wing three four wing three why don't you why don't you think it's me i oh eight wing nine yeah okay well nines are the more 
uh, soft and passive version of the eight. Okay, that's and, not me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> so fours, Macy's a four. They're most concerned with being unique, essentially. Is that fair, Macy? Yeah. Yeah. And being special, being unique different. And special. You at at one of our breaks described why you wear your hat tilted was partially just to be unique. So that sounded like a four thing. Yeah. A four so I, you might not decide on it tonight. And this is the other thing too is. In, in the Enneagram, there's nine types and something we haven't really discussed in the podcast, but might as well just introduce the topic now is this concept of tri-types. So you essentially have a core type that's your pivot point, but then uh, there are eight, nine, and one are all gut types, two, threes, and fours are all heart types, and five, six, and sevens are all head types. And you're essentially supposed to have one of each. So you could... Some be people don't actually believe in that. Believe in the tri-type. I do, but, but that's fine if you don't. So you could be an eight with a four in your tri-type. Mm -hmm. But we think, you're, we think you have a potential to be a four with a three wing because the three is the achiever. And you have, you have big time achiever vibes too. So this is the four <laughs> with the three wing and they're called the aristocrat. So here it goes. People of this up to... Uh, People of this subtype combine creativity and ambition, the desire for self-improvement, and an eye toward achieving goals, often involving their personal advancement. They are more sociable than the people of the other subtype and want to be both successful and distinctive. They feel the need to communicate themselves and their creative comforts to others. Nope. Let me read that sentence over. <laughs> creative comforts? They feel the need to communicate themselves and their creative efforts to others. And so they care both about finding the right mode of expression and about avoiding anything off-putting or in bad taste. They create with an audience in mind. No, I don't think that. Mm. John knows himself. Yeah, this is good. These people are more self-conscious and aware of issues regarding their self-worth and how they are coming across and others than people of the other subtype. They want recognition for themselves and their work and they are typically put more and they typically put more effort into everything having to do with their self-presentation and related matters. They're often more practical, but also more extravagant, loving refinement, culture, and sophistication, typically seeing themselves as high class, elegant, and concerned with social acceptance. Yeah, this is the, I, I just want to stop and pause before you react, John, because I don't even need your reaction right now. Uh, this is the crazy thing about reading it in the presence. In the presence of the person. Because I'll read it. I read that without John in the room, in my, in my mind, on the way over here, and I thought that's John. And reading it in his presence, Eight wing seven. Fits Eight wing better. seven seems more. What do you think? Do you think so? Yeah, the the first one that you did. Yeah. Yeah. Eight wing seven. I mean yeah. that that felt like you were describing. I mean this is like bits and pieces I can yeah. relate to, but it's not like, oh that's me, which mm. is, which is what I felt with the okay. first one. So first of all, I'll just say, and and again we're wrapping up, but uh, I this was slightly unexpected. I for some reason heading into night talking to. I was trying to explain you to Macy and I was saying, Oh yeah, he's a four. You know? <laughs> and now I'm like, Oh, he's an eight. And, and that's really cool. Thickens. Just to think the plot, the plot thickens. thickens. It's just to say, first of all, I think it's really important to acknowledge that all types can be artists. Yeah. Fours tend to be the artists, but any type can be an artist. And, and I think I'd like to think that healthy fours would want all types to be artists, you know, and not just hoard art artistic expression <laughs> for themselves. Sorry for us. Um, Always trashing. Uh, yeah. So for, for, for fun, I'm just going to read the very initial descriptions of the eight. 
Mm-hmm. Just for John for fun. Yeah. And then we'll settle down here. Then we'll settle down. So in the wisdom of the Enneagram, it says, we have named personality type eight, the challenger. This is my daughter, by the way, which I, I kind of love eights. Uh, eights kind okay. of make everything happen in the yeah. world. <laughs> we have named personality type eight, the challenger, because of all types, eights enjoy taking the challenges themselves, as well as giving others opportunities that challenge them to succeed themselves in some way. They're charismatic and have the physical and psychological capacities to persuade others to follow them into all kinds of endeavors, from starting a company, to building a city, to running a household, to waging war, to making peace. Big things. Hmm. Aids have enormous willpower and vitality, and they feel most alive when they are exercising these capacities. They use their abundant energy to affect changes in their environment, to leave their mark, but also to keep the environment, and especially other people, from hurting them and those they care about. At an early age, eights understand that this requires strength, will, and persistence, and endurance, qualities that they develop in themselves and that they look for in others. Thayer, oh, I'm not going to read this part. They have these little, you know, examples from other people. I don't want to waste my time with that. Eights do not want to be controlled. This is John, for sure. Eights do not want to be controlled or to allow others to have power over them. That's their basic fear. Hmm. Whether the power is physiological, sexual, social, or financial, much of their behavior is involved with making sure that they retain and increase whatever power they have for as long as possible. An eight may be a general or a gardener, a small businessman or a mogul, the mother of a family or the superior of a religious community. No matter, being in charge and leaving their imprint on their sphere is uniquely characteristic of them. And it keeps going, but hmm. like that. it's really interesting. How, what, what, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I mean, it puts, it puts, uh, it puts parts of my life into perspective that I've never considered before. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I mean, that deeply resonates. <laughs> yeah. I think about your raw essence and, and thinking back to even what we were talking about earlier with the usual suspects thing. It's like, this this moment of rawness like raw john of thinking like i'm not going to make let you, i'm not going to let you make me watch this i have a perspective that you need to know about right you know and uh yeah there's something really great about that eights really have an uncanny ability to cut through the crap mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like we're not going to sit and hmm. you know talk about fluffy niceties and stuff we're going to say what we're actually thinking and feeling you know, I have these like memories and feelings that I think oftentimes get uh, put on my parents because I'm mm-hmm. like, where else would this have come from? You know, like I don't have yeah. any direct memories, but it's interesting to hear this idea that like that might be my own mourning of something that I, mm-hmm. you know, self-inflicted or, you know, lost, you know, intentionally or whatever. I mean, I have to spend more time with this thought, but it's interesting to think that you could be so defined. Um in just like nine <laughs> simple. Well, I'll just yeah. say this. What, one of the things that we've talked about is the, the Enneagram has given us this language of the perceived wound. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not necessarily this literal wound. It's, it's this really strange combination of nature nurture of saying your temperament combined with your environment created a perfect storm of a perceived wound. So for example, for the five, they felt consistently and constantly intruded upon. And so five's biggest fear is being intruded upon essentially or overwhelmed. And 
when I think about my mom, I was thinking about this whole storyline I was saying about my whole life. My mom was so intrusive. Well, that may or may not be true. It's just that I perceived it as intrusive. Mm -hmm. To somebody else, she may have been perceived as a really fun, happy person, which she was. I mean, I did perceive that, but I also felt intruded upon. So it's like somebody with your temperament would have experienced your parents in a very particular way. Like, right. Oh crap. They're trying to control me. Right. Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also the memories that you like hold on to and keep retelling yourself of your childhood or certain things. It's what you like certain stories. So many things happen, but some of them stick and they become formative memories and start to build mm -hmm. these things. And it seems that the Enneagram shows you that you start to kind of collect a way of experiencing and like, having all these memories that just continue that own narrative that you've created that mm -hmm. yeah. you can't control me. Wow. <laughs> it's deep. It's deep. Crazy. Crazy. Well, there it is. There we, it is. we typed John. <laughs> he's officially an eight. No, we don't know. We don't. We, we, we think he's an eight. It sure seems like it. Yeah. It sure, it sure does seem like, like it. it. <laughs> I think that we, we are at two hours and 15 yeah, minutes, which is a long episode. There's some downtime, uh, but <laughs> I think we just want to say thank you thank to you, you, John. Thank you. This is fun. This has been yeah. so fun. And I feel like we need to do another one someday because this is, again, I know, this was good. the beginning. The very beginning. conversation with John. But Next week, we're going to do an episode on 21 Pilots. <laughs> is anybody surprised? Macy's wearing a yellow Just sweatshirt. Just get ready. <laughs> Just get ready. I'm too pumped. <laughs> I have to put the mic down. Okay. Thanks, John. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, John. Bye, everybody. <laughs>